Hello and welcome to Storehouse 7 Ministries. Hope you're doing all right out there. This is Chris Whitland. And again, as normal, this is, as you can tell by my voice, it's early in the morning, so I can put out another revelation. Today we're gonna to look at Revelation 16, part two. Can I ask you to do me a favor? I've, uh, this is not for my uh, ego or anything, but I've been working on this series now for a, <laughs> for a long time, and I'm up to, still I'm working already working through chapter 17. And it, it's, it's hard graft, I'll tell you. Every morning having to do this, and uh, I've done it for like, I don't know, about a year and a half now, it's, it's kind of dragging me down a bit. So if you would really like me to continue to do this series and you're getting a lot out of it, could you just let me know? This is also being made into books and stuff and I'm also doing a actual uh, in-house study on it. So people that come to our church, uh, we sit down and actually work through a three-year study on this. So it's either way I look at this, I've got to finish it one way or another. But could you just like send me a little email? Um, and my email address is at uh, chris at lwcn.uk that's chris at lwcn.uk it's not .co.uk just .uk and just give me a drop me a little line see if you want me to still carry on doing this okay so let's let's look into this and so revelation chapter 16 part 2 we'll we'll finish off revelation 16 today as well so we're looking from verse 12 and the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way uh, would be prepared for the kings from the east. Now, before we get into any details here, we need to note that the Euphrates River has always been of biblical note and importance. It is listed in the first four primary rivers in the beginning of creation. You can see that in Genesis chapter 2 verses 10 to 14. And according to Genesis 15 verse 18, the Euphrates River marked the territorial zone that God promised to give Abraham from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates. And this is a huge area of real estate which is the God-appointed boundaries of the land of Israel. This, I believe, is not the current boundaries today as a nation, Israel, is currently quite small, but when Jesus returns, the full border size of Israel will be re-established. In Joshua 1 verse 4, God here reiterates the large area of territory of Israel um, bordering against the river Euphrates. Again, we have the same territories marked out in Deuteronomy 11.24. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the Western Sea. Again, in Exodus 23.31, And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. So basically, Israel should be so wide that it starts at the border of Egypt right across to Iraq. The drying up of the river Euphrates is a judgment of God which leads to the battle of Armageddon where all the enemies of Israel come to destroy her. Now what looks like a God-given tactical advantage against Israel turns out to be God's handiwork to destroy the enemies of God, the church and the Jews and land of Israel. Revelation 16, 12 states that the river is dried up in preparation for the kings of the east, the east being ancient Babylon, which in today's maps is Iraq and Iran. And this prophecy fulfills many key scriptures from the Old Testament. And this is why I personally favor the literal Middle East Babylonian system in place of current thinking, which states that Europe or America 
uh, is the Babylonian system. I do believe that there is a spirit of Antichrist in certain governments and countries, uh, which we do have in our time at this current time. However, a literal rising of Babylon at the end of days is a far more faithful approach to scripture, especially in light of Old Testament prophecy. And it's here that I personally place the first battle of Gog and Magog, i.e. the Ezekiel battle, which you can see in Ezekiel's chapter 38 to 39. Now I say the first battle because there's another Gog-Magog war which takes place in Revelation chapter 20 verses 7 to 10. Revelation 16, 13 to 16, let's move on. It says, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk around naked and men see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place in, which in Hebrew is called Harmageddon. So let's take some time to unpack these verses. Firstly, out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet, frog-like spirits which have power to perform signs and wonders go out to deceive the kings of the earth to battle against Israel. Here we see the wisdom of God at play. Satan, the Antichrist and the miracle worker believe this is their own plan, but fail to see that they are being played by God to bring about an end time battle of Gog and Magog so that all of God's enemies can be destroyed in one final blow in one place. Satan knows the scriptures very well. He sh must surely know that his plans will fail as it is already written. Yet, in his arrogance and insanity, he somehow believes he's going to get away with it, but obviously he doesn't. It is again interesting here uh, to note that the frogs are mentioned in this passage, which again links back to ancient Egypt. Remember, I'm saying that the book of uh, Exodus is a real useful cipher to help us look at this point of revelations. Uh, the Egyptians worshipped frogs as they believed in the god of frogs called Heket. And Hecat, sorry, is an Egyptian goddess of fertility, water and renewal. And this, this so-called goddess had the head of a frog and the body of a woman. Mm. <laughs> Interestingly, the waters of the earth have been poisoned now by blood. So that the destruction of Israel may have been the key focus of the demon frogs. Israel has to be, uh, must surely be to blame for many things throughout history. And goodness knows what she's being blamed for in the future. But all the nations are deceived enough to try to obliterate her off the map. All of the kings of the earth then come to the plains of Armageddon, and this will likely be in several places or all of these places, which is the hill of and plains of Megiddo and the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, the plains of Megiddo is set in the north and is 18 miles southeast of Haifa in northern Israel. And this fulfills many biblical prophecies of Israel being attacked from the north. Now, most people assume it's Russia. However, the north is simply the best and most strategic way of attacking Israel, always has been. Also, the Old Testament scriptures are clear. Most mentions of the attack from the north in the Old Testament refer to Assyria, not Russia. So I'm not ruling out 
Russia being involved at the end of days, but scripture in the Old Testament has more to say about the Middle Eastern countries attacking than it does Russia, and how the term from the north is more to do with how Israel will be attacked militarily and strategically because it's the high ground rather than it being uh, merely a country such as Russia which is placed in the north somewhere. Revelation 16.15 is a parenthesis verse which says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. Firstly, Jesus states that he is coming like a thief, i.e. when you least expect him to come. Uh, please note that this warning is given to believers, thus its context must be looked at in that light. There are many Christians who believe they can work out mathematically when the rapture will take place and thus when his return will be. And I hope by now from these studies you will realise that this is not really the case uh, and we can know the season but not the day or the hour for not even the Son of God knows the day. And remember that was linked back to the Jewish wedding feast, that it was the father who set the time of the return of the son to come back for his, his bride. And the son did not know the hour or the day when he was allowed to come back to get his bride. And if the son doesn't know, then no disrespect, you and I are not going to figure it out either. Now, such a day, according to Jewish tradition, as I said, is set by the Father, and only the Father knows the day of the hour. Now, this scripture implies Jesus may come sooner than expected, or maybe later than many think. We, we just don't know. But the warning is to Christians to not be naked, but be clothed. Now, the whole concept of being naked and clothed links back to Genesis 3, 7, sorry, chapter 3, verses 7 and 21. And the Bible often links being naked as being shameful, but being clothed as something that is right and fit with theological overtones of being covered by God and wearing the garments of salvation. We're going to see an example of this in Matthew 22, 11 to 13. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there was, sorry, he, when the king came to see the guests, he noticed there was a man not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. And the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's take a further look at verse 15 of Revelation 16. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. This links up to parables which Jesus taught. Luke 12, 39 to 40, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is what I call classic Jesus. This is a classic Jesus quote, and here in the book of Revelation, Jesus is quoting the same kind of stuff that he spoke when he walked the earth in his incarnation. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes. Now this verse is both chilling and kind of incredulous because it implies that many Christians, even during, the time of, even during this time of history in Revelation, would fall asleep. Um, and I don't know how, but maybe through despair, through fear and hopelessness. Now, it could be that many just give up hope at this hour and fall away. It is said that the darkest hour of the night is always just before sunrise. So, 
it could be a really dark time for humanity. I don't know, but it do, I do find it quite incredulous that that is written. And I suppose, you know, if you're under extreme persecution and, and it's just so grim that you might give up hope. Now, we know from Scripture that the end of days will be very difficult for the church. In Daniel 7.25, it says, which is a passage which is normally attributed to the Antichrist, it says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time, times, and a dividing of time, i.e. three and a half years. Revelation 16, 16. And they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew, which is called Ha-Megeddon. It is here in Revelation 16, 16 that I believe the first and major outworking of the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war takes place. This is famously known as the Gog-Magog War. Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 are very important to study and understand. Sadly, it's out of the scope of this commentary to look at uh, in much detail, but the fulfillment of these chapters of scripture in Revelation 16, 16, and also very super, uh, sorry, and very specifically rather in Revelation 20 verses 7 to 10. Now there's a lot of speculation on where the first war of Gog and Magog happens in the book of the Revelation, but the plains of Armageddon, i.e. Armageddon, seems the most logical point to put this war, especially as the Messiah himself uh, will intervene in this war and save the physical remnant of Israel from destruction. And finally, Israel's enemies will be dealt with, but not before the enemy almost wins. It is believed that Armageddon is probably the hill of Megiddo in the city of Megiddo, which is based in northern Israel. We've looked at this earlier in this commentary so far. Now, there are many Old Testament prophecies pointing that Israel will be attacked from the north, and many state that this will be Russia. However, it's always been known that militarily and, ta and the tactical advantage to attack Israel in the Old Testament times was to attack from the north. Now, again, a lot of people don't really know this, that hence why I keep stressing the point. Because I tell you, you <laughs> I've told people this time and time again, and it's like, as they don't hear, they go, yeah, yeah, of course it's Russia. And it's like, well, well, actually, the Bible never says it's Russia. The Bible is always very clear that the people that attack from the north is Assyria, but it's the attacking from the north is a military advantage. We can see this um, in things like in extra canonical books like the book of Judith. Uh, if you read that, you can see how um, attacking Israel from the north is, is, is of great military um, advantage and also how in the north Israel had very strong garrisons to protect her from being attacked from the north. Now the book of Jeremiah is very clear that the enemy from the north is Assyria not Russia. Also please note that many people today say that Russia is the great bear of Revelation chapter 13 except for the fact that there is no bear mentioned in Revelation 13 rather is a leopard with bears with bear paws. So we have to be careful to not read things into Revelation that are simply not there. We have to interpret scripture, not to interpolate. To interpolate means we put our own opinions and our own ideas in. So knowing this, these discrepancies will stop us trying to contextualize the text to random bits here and there being used in context of today's issues and wars. Revelation is written for a specific moment of time. It's not a book to be used to predict current political timelines that have no relevance to the end of days. That is not to say, however, 
we cannot see the spirit of Antichrist in our days today and using scripture to identify them and see shadows and types, even though we're not walking in the fullness of them yet. So great care needs to be taken with the book of Revelation. However, the book of Revelation is a wonderful book that will help and aid God's people during the darkest point of future history. In Revelation 16 verses 17 to 21, we get a quick overview of the final judgment, the destruction of Babylon, judgment to the nations and how God's wrath is done. This quick overview is then unpacked in further detail in chapters 17 through to chapter 20. So Revelation 16, 17, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple, the sanctuary from the throne saying, it is done. We are not sure from this verse who is the one speaking loudly declaring it is done, although it is likely God himself, as David the psalmist once wrote, Psalm 29, 3-5, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the God of glory thunders, the Lord is over many waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is majestic, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. The phrase it is done is reminiscent of Jesus upon the cross when he shouted out it is finished John 19:30. Upon the cross the fullness of salvation had been achieved and here in Revelation the fullness of God's wrath upon the living is now exhausted. I say the living for a final judgment awaits all those wicked who die at the end of the book of Revelation when they are sent into the lake of fire. Revelation 16:19 to 20 the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath and every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Verse 18, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. So here we have an earthquake so great that it literally changes the topography of the whole earth. It is at this point that every valley is raised up and every mountain brought low so that God can make the highway of the Lord and so that Mount Zion can be raised to the chiefest of mountains all in preparation for the return of the Messiah. Micah 4 verses 1 to 3 and verse 8. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and it will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. Verse 8, as for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come, even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Isaiah 35 verses 8 to 10, a highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be far from him who walks that way, and fools will not wander upon it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go upon it. These will, be found, these will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return, and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. 
Isaiah 49.11 I'll make all my mountains a road and my highways will be raised up. Isaiah 40 verses 3 to 4 A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. In Revelation 16:19, it states the great city which is in Jerusalem will be split via the earthquake into three parts. Now, no one is really sure what this means, but interestingly, Jerusalem, the old city, is currently divided into four sections, Armenian, Christian, Jewish and Muslim. Now, some state that the three parts of the city during this future time is the Jews, the Christians and those following the Antichrist. But again, most commentators admit that they do not understand what this means. One can only surmise and guess. There is no definitive answer to be found here, in case you were hoping for one. The next part of Revelation 16, 19 talks about the wrath of God being poured out upon Babylon. And we'll look at this more fully in the next two chapters. Revelation 16, 21. And huge hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, came from heaven upon men, and men its plague was extremely severe. And this links nicely into the Gog Magog war listed in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 38, 19 to 23 states, In my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, and all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains also will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse and every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him on all my nations. I'm sorry, on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and with blood, I will enter into judgment with him and will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him, a torrential rain with hailstones, fire and brimstone. I will magnify myself, sanctify myself and make myself known in the sight of many nations and they will know that I am the Lord. In the book of Revelation, the first war of Gog and Magog only truly makes sense if it is placed here in the book of Revelation, which is at the end of chapter 16. Many try to apply it to our current timeline with Russia, but that just makes no sense. The text of Ezekiel 38 and 39 goes from war, a terrible war, to a place of peace for Israel. And it would make sense that we place the Ezekiel 38-39 war at this point in future history of Revelation 16 as the descriptions and details between Ezekiel and Revelation seemingly line up. Also, after the final judgments are poured out here in Revelation 16, then comes the messianic reign of peace for the next thousand years. And this too makes sense when aligned again with Ezekiel 38 39. There we go, that's that finished. And again, as I said, if you'd like me to carry on this series, please drop us a line, drop us an email at chris at lwcn.uk. That's chris at lwcn.uk. God bless you all. See you again soon. Bye bye.